This is a big-timing comedy production. Welcome backstage. Uh, I'm here to interview Black Sabbath. I'm a journalist. VIP only. Groupies sleep with rock stars because they want to be near someone famous. We're here because of music. We are bandits. Are you jumping or am I undermedicated? You're listening to Backstage Pass with Meredith Marks. I'm with the band, okay? We're good now. Welcome aboard the Backstage Pass Tour Bus, everybody. Episode two. Thanks for joining again. Always good to have you guys back. We had an amazing first episode two weeks ago with the bass god of Baltimore, Dave DeMarco from Crack the Sky, the Dave DeMarco band. And we learned father projects because it's seven total, not like 50 million like I thought originally. Uh, we have a couple of sponsors with our show tonight. First off, Cassie Denton Photography. You can find her on Facebook at Cassie Denton Photography or CassieDentonPhoto.com. She's not like the normal Cassie, C-A-S-S-I-E. She's C-A-S-I. So CassieDentonPhoto.com. If you mention Backstage Pass, you get 10% off your total package. She does families, animals, engagements. You're pregnant? She'll reveal it. You want to know if it's a boy or a girl? She'll tell everybody about it. Also, Wildstar Clothing. I get to interview rock stars for a living, and now your kids can be little rock stars, too. Wildstar Clothing has infant-to-youth sizes that are made with the softest 100% cotton. Fun logos, they'll hit the camp, the playground, and school as stylish little stars. Visit wildstarclothing.com for more info. They're on Facebook and Instagram under Wildstar Clothing. Be a wild star. So, got a co-host tonight. I decided to bring him in. I work with him on 100.7 The Bay here in Baltimore every day. He's the afternoon jock of Baltimore. Please welcome to my podcast, Stash. Hi there, jock. <laughs> I'm jocking. I've you got are. my strap on. Yes, you do. So we are rolling. I'm ready for you. And you know what? You've been backstage so many times. It's about time you had a show, first of all. And second of all, I know you've done some terrible things back there sometimes, somehow. Well, you never know. What happens backstage sometimes stays backstage. <laughs> Not tonight! Not tonight! No! Because tonight, we have such an amazing guest on our show. This guy has the most incredible career span going back to the 90s, going back to when he was a guitar tech for Blue Oyster Cult. He was in Anthrax. He was with Sebastian Bach. Currently, he's with Meatloaf. He's a music director. He's a record producer. He played uh, guitar in the musical We Will Rock You. Brian May of Queen thinks he is awesome and a badass. And I have to tell you, quite honestly, he's got the best dimples I've ever seen on a human being. Please welcome to my show, Mr. Paul Crook. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm very flattered. Thank you so much. It was really nice of you to say those things. Thank you so much for coming on our show. We are so, so happy, happy to, to have be here. you. Thank you. Yeah. So let's let's go back first. Uh, 
you and I have been friends for a very long time. And we were talking about this if we had met during the Anthrax days or if we met during the Sebastian Bach days. And my brother was the tour manager for Sebastian. And I think that we met during the Baz tour. And you and I became friends and have just stayed in touch over the years. Uh, and I'm, I'm just so glad that you're here and, and you're one of my first guests because you're one of like the people that I admire the most. And you're, you're an oh. axe beast, man. Oh, that's so nice of you, Meredith. That, wow, thank you. Sure. So tell me, uh, tell me. I want to talk about like the touring differences between, you know, you've got Meatloaf now. You've toured with Meatloaf for several years, and that's a whole vibe unto itself. But when you were back with Anthrax and you were like metal man, tell me a little bit more about what the difference in touring life is from the early '90s until now. That's a good question. Well, with anthrax, the well, it comes down to amenities, really. Meatloaf is such a powerful act. You know, it's arena size. We have our own charter, you know, flights with just 11 people flying, you know, to, to venues. You know, you leave the hotel, you get a limo ride to the tarmac, to the plane, you get on the plane, and you fly to the city. Uh, not all the time, but it happens, you know, often. With anthrax, it was it was metal, and it was it was uh, it was dirty. You know, it was great. It was it was a smaller thing. You know, you're on a tour bus. You know, twelve guys, and that's pretty dirty, would, Paul. Yeah, well, let me tell you something. It's, twelve guys. <laughs> I don't well, know. thankfully, you know, I will say this: the anthrax guys, their hygiene hygiene is very important. And they're just very clean guys, and very there's no real mess happening. Just very. It was it was a pleasure to tour with them. Uh, that said, you know you're on the bus with twelve guys, and you don't have a hotel every day. You usually, pull up to the venue, and you're hoping that the venue has a shower. You go in and you shower, and you hang out on the bus in the afternoon, sound check, and you eat dinner. You know, some local Taco Bell or something, and then you do your show, and you move to the next city. With Meatloaf, uh, we had five star hotels every day. And, uh, you know, it's a catering, traveling with us. So it, it's, it's all about the amenities, really. Let's talk about let's talk about catering for a minute. <laughs> sure. Because you're on the road. Yeah. It's tough. I know because I, I've lived it myself. I was on tour for a couple of weeks with different bands at different times. And it's tough, you know, if you're away from home and you want to make sure, one, you know, you're getting the nutrients that you need and staying healthy on tour so you can perform to the best of your ability but you want some good stuff too. What stands out to you the most in terms of like city? What city just off the bat, who had like the best food anywhere around the world? Who gave you the best food? Uh, Florence, Italy. Oh yeah. Yeah. That said, of that said, we have catering traveling with us. They have, uh, really? uh, Yeah. Yeah. On, on the trucks, they have their own stoves and the caterers uh, either, either like eat to the beat. They're called They're gigabyte. So two popular companies. They're fantastic. And after the first day, they know your diet. Me, it's tough for me because I'm a vegetarian. So being, you know, eating on the road is incredibly difficult, especially going through Europe. I end up living on bread and cheese on days off, you know? Yeah. But uh, on gig days, uh, the food is outstanding. The, the catering company, <clears throat> excuse me, they work so hard. They're up 6 a.m. They go to the market, the local market. They get their 
they're in, you know, ingredients for all the meals that day and they cook them, they cook right there all fresh and the food is outstanding. I think, so, I think the key is to travel with somebody that has food as a name. That's the key, that's exactly right? right? Right. Like he's <laughs> yeah, a vegetarian. Sure. He's traveling with meatloaf. That's ironic, <laughs> that's exactly, man. <laughs> that's exactly right. It's an ongoing joke. I'm happy you caught that. Yeah. It's veggie loaf. <laughs> veggie loaf. Nice. That's the next, that's the next, you know, thing that you're going to get into veggie loaf. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, I saw, I want to, talk a little bit about um you were on a long tour run right you've been on tour runs that were spanning what up to a year maybe where you didn't even get a lot of time off or get to go home much are there difficulties being away for a longer stretch of time yeah uh to go back to the intro which you were so kind the words are really nice thank you sure i started touring in 85 85 yeah, uh, those were Blue Oyster Cult. Uh-huh. As far as uh, I wanted to just just uh, point that out, yeah. I started when I was ni- 19 years old, and so you know at that time I loved being away. I loved touring. I was being away from home was was amazing. And the older you get, the the harder it is, you know, because you you know my family, my my wife and my dogs, you know, my my parents, my brother, I miss them. Uh, uh, as far as long. Yeah, I remember. What's funny is I remember when I first started dating my wife. I think the first year we dated, I was gone for ten months. Wow. Yeah, yeah, pretty tough, pretty tough. Uh, Meatloaf is a, he's a touring beast. Yeah. We uh, we usually go out when we're in Europe or or say you know Australia, New Zealand, Tasmania. We'll be gone for eleven or twelve weeks at a clip, which is insane. That I remember going down to Australia with Anthrax. And we would be out of there in 10 days. Yeah. With, with Meatloaf, it's 10 weeks. It's crazy. You know, yeah, because he's so popular. But now you know, it's easier, it's, right, with being 2017 and you have Skype, you've got FaceTime, you've got Facebook yes. for updating. You know, I know you and I yes. have talked about this before. Um, you know, back in, in the 80s and the 90s, you didn't have that. And it was much more difficult to really maintain relationships. And now... You get to update your family on where you are every day and, and see them on FaceTime, and that makes things a lot easier, I'm sure. Absolutely. It takes the edge off. You know, even in, in the 80s and, and uh, well, excuse me, the 90s, uh, there weren't cell phones. Yeah. You know, so you had to, you had to find a, a pay phone, you know, call collect. <laughs> I, I remember my, uh, my first tour Blue Oyster Cult in 85. I, we were in Athens, you know, Greece, and... I called home from the hotel out of ignorance, and I think I talked for 20 minutes. I think the bill was $127. Wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, when you call from Tasmania, I'm sure it's (laughs) $1,000. Wow, Paul, I mean, that's some real touring. Hobart, Tasmania. People don't usually put that on the itinerary, and, you know, when you get to those kind of corners of the world, man, you're really out there. Yeah, meatloaf is that powerful. Wow. He reaches and, and, and we're selling, world. I mean, we're selling tickets too, man. Excuse me. He is, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm there. You know, he, he can get, me can be on stage and fart. He's going to sell the same number <laughs> yeah. of tickets. And it will you smell like I mean? me, low. Yeah, he's just that good. <laughs> uh, in, yeah, t- Hobart, man, I'm happy you brought that up. Beautiful place. You know, lots of uh, wallabies hopping around, mm-hmm. you know. And the, the venues in Australia, New Zealand, Tasmania, Meatloaf's a 
he's a monster down there. You know, so we're doing cricket stadiums. You know, we'll do 40,000 people a night without wow. an opening act. It's mm-hmm. amazing. Hey, you're yeah, playing, you're playing those songs. That's not a, an easy task. I mean, Jim Steinman put together some amazing stuff, and Meatloaf goes out there and performs it, and he sweats to death, and, you know, the stage is just so vibrant, and you're right in the middle of that. You're part of that, and, and you have to come through, too. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, it's the music is very complex. I'm happy you brought that up. Uh, the It's very challenging, incredibly fun to play, and... I'll tell you, I am still in awe with my boss. I watch him on stage. I watch him like a hawk because I'm the, I'm the musical director, you know, so I have to watch him constantly. And he, it's incredible to watch him work. His chest, he just, he opens his chest up. It, it just spills out into the stage. He's, it's incredible to see. It's like, it's like a, a, a storytelling tour each time because these songs, it's, I mean, the videos, you can just get a get an idea of it for being a storytelling, you know, artist yeah. that he is. I'm sure, and I'm, I'm kicking myself that I didn't come and see you. We talked about this. I was supposed to come and see you in Atlantic City. And I'm okay. kicking myself that I did not come and see you in Atlantic City because I would have loved to have seen that particular tour. Um, yeah, he's, oh, he's so good. I mean, what, what is your favorite, what is your favorite Meat Love song to play on stage? Definitely bad out of hell. Yeah. Just just for the sole reason of just the guitar. You know, there's a lot of lead playing and, and it's it's a heavy distortion sound. Um, that said, I really enjoy Paradise by the Dashboard Light. I think that's one of the greatest songs ever written. Sure. You know, what's funny what's funny is that uh, I think I can speak for the band too, and even Meatloaf. Uh, rehearsing, ugh, it's it's horrible. It's horrible to play those songs in rehearsal. But when you get on stage, it's 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 a it's a joy. You can't wait to get to those songs. I mean, is it difficult to play it in rehearsal because it's such a closed, tight space, and you guys need to let that no. energy out? I mean, what no. what is the what is the? Oh no, because it's just so damn long. It's long, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you true. know, I, I think uh, you know, especially you know, on on stage, it's it's really funny. I think the longest we went. For Paradise was 27 minutes on stage once. Oh my goodness! Wow. It's 8:24 on an album. Yeah. So uh, wow. Battle of the Hell can go about 12 minutes at times. Wow! You know, it's different every night. You have to watch the boss. He's, just, he's always changing things. Man, you're tripling the and, length of the uh, song. You can really get yourself in trouble if you're not if you're not paying attention. <laughs> That's already a long song. That's like uh, yeah, you know. <laughs> That's right. I mean, it's times three because, like I said, I played it on the radio so many times that I know that it's in the 8:30 ballpark, like 8:25, 8:30. And then when you go 27 minutes, that means everybody is going hard. Oh, my. Yeah. Mm. It's funny that you say that because I remember Meatloaf several times saying in the early days how DJs loved his records because they could take a break. Ha. That's yeah. true. They it's, put it's a, song. a pee break song. <laughs> yeah, even two out of three ain't bad is like a five and a half minute song. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Run, take a leak, come back. It's perfect. Yeah. yeah it's like yeah. that in American Pie. Right? Those are your break songs? Just don't get locked out of the studio. <laughs> no, or no. or the whole office at the Bay, uh, 100.7 right. the Bay. As soon as everybody leaves, I'm on 3 to 7, Paul, every day. And as soon as yeah. everybody leaves, they lock the door. If I walk out that door without my keys, it's over. Oh. I got to find a Mexican cleanup person to come open the door for me, and that could take a little while. No, you know what? You need to play the, the live version from a meatloaf show if you really need to go. Because then, you know, you've got right. like 27 minutes. 
Well, sure, they love That's when exactly I right. they love when I go off the page and play whatever I want. Yeah, That's always a hit. There you go. People will be driving around the Beltway going, wait, we've been listening to the same meatloaf song for the entire length of the Beltway. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. So I was, I was talking to my daughter the other day, and she's 10, and she said, so you're interviewing Paul with meatloaf, and I've been... I've been playing them a lot of meatloaf lately because I really wanted to gear up for this interview with you. And I listened to it anyway, but I've been really trying trying to expose my kids to it. And we were listening to Bad Out of Hell and she was like, what is this? This is crazy. And I go, I know, right? And she goes, can I ask him a question? Or I have a good question for him. And I said, what is it? I'll ask him for you. And she was beyond ecstatic, by the way. And she wanted me to ask you how artists get inspired to change tempos, and if you enjoy playing the different tempos and what your favorite type is, I want to just do a little, we're going to do a little bad out of hell. We're going to do it? Okay. Are you playing it? Are you playing it? We're going to play a little bad out of hell. Oh, okay. Okay. You might not hear it, but we're going to play it. <laughs> okay. So this is from my, my 10-year-old daughter, Parker. And for a 10-year-old to ask, and clearly she comes from a musical family, but she really was interested. She noticed how much the tempos change, and she wanted me to, she thought it would be a good question to bring that up to you. So I said, that's a great question. Sure. That's a great question. Yeah. Can I answer that? Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. Uh, No, are you playing the song first? uh... Go ahead. We'll we'll get it. I'm not sure you're going to edit that in. (laughs) Yeah, we're good. Oh, good. Uh, Parker, that's a great question. What inspires tempo changes? I would imagine, um, you know, I obviously I didn't write uh, the meatloaf songs that she's talking about. That's all Jim Steinman. Yeah. And if I had to get into Jim's head, I would I would probably guess that his tempo changes are just have to do with the lyric. And it's it's about uh, character development as well. There you go. There you go. He hears it now. Awesome. There you go. Bad out of hell. Every song is epic. Every song. Can't go wrong with it. They are. So we know he likes playing Bad Out of Hell. This is his favorite one. It's fantastic. Wow. And wow. This... I, I am I'm actually freaking out right now hearing that. Actually, have chills. So do I, Paul. I really do. I mean, this, and you took the words right out of my mouth, and those songs just put a smile on people's faces, man. I just, I can't believe what I'm hearing right now. It's incredible to hear Meatloaf. Man. Love Meatloaf. Oh, so good. good. guy. So we, so we were talking about, off the, off the cast earlier, how Meatloaf loves his toast soggy <laughs> what is it wait wait wait, cool. wait. cool let's go back to that i i didn't finish answering oh, okay uh, go ahead yeah go ahead go ahead great great that was uh okay so my guess is that it has to do with character development and just making sure the lyric is coming across right with melody yeah so that's what that's what creates the tempo and that's what creates the the, the chord structure you know, in Jim's in Jim's mind, that's me. I'm guessing though. Now, uh, for me, as you know, playing the music, those tempo changes keep things fun, keep things interesting. Uh, 
And thankfully, we have an incredible drummer. His name is John Michelli. And he, he just he drives us. You know, he's 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 the kind of guy I never have to guess where we are. I respect him so much. It's just, OK, John, we're going to go there. Thank you. Thank you for letting me know. I'm, I'm with you. He's just he's, he's like, we're going to put this right here. Bang. You know? Yeah. And at the same at the same time, we're watching Meatloaf. You know, John's watching Meatloaf as much as I am. Because meatloaf is almost like a metronome. His body, the way his body moves, is almost like a metronome. And you know, so you're you're watching that, and you're also you have Jim Steinman in the back of your head because you want to pay respect to the way the song is written, and you're paying respect to your boss up front. And it's all all that makes for an incredibly challenging performance, and it keeps things fun. You know. Yeah. I think that's it. So yeah. you so you can tell right off the bat on stage when you guys are watching him, you can tell when he's going to extend that song. You've got, no, no, no. He, he, he does like a curveball for you every time. Every time we actually can I curse on this show? Absolutely, <laughs> hit it, hit it. Uh, he, I honestly think he purposely messes with us. You oh know, come on, uh, Paul! He fucks yeah. with you. It's okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think I think he he might be. Well, you know, I'm not going to say he premeditates it because that doesn't make sense either. Because he's such a uh, performer, he's just in the moment, you know. But part of me thinks that he's messing with us. <laughs> Keep you on your toes. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Oh, he gets taken away by his own songs. I mean, he's just absolutely. You yes. know, you're in the moment, and it's just let's yeah. go, let's roll. Hey, you know, Paul, right. when I'm thinking about Meatloaf's music, I think back to, you know, Bad Out of Hell was recorded in 1975, and that was just beyond belief to have that kind of quality coming out on record, on vinyl, in 1975. And Todd Rudgren produced that record. And then, you know, in the mid-2000s, Desmond Child produced sort of a, a follow-up to that. And and then the, the production credits go Todd Rundgren, Desmond Child, Paul Crook. That's good company. <laughs> Thank you very much. I believe I believe uh, "Bat of the Hell" was, rec- was recorded in '77. Uh, uh, I do have demos in my possession of Meatloaf with Jim and Alan Foley from '74. Wow! And they're unbelievable. Uh, we were going to release them as an attached, um, a special edition to the "Braver Than We Are" record, but uh, we couldn't get the clearance. And when I listen to those demos, it, my jaw drops. It's so, so passionate and beautiful. I, I hope the world can hear this stuff. Uh, the um, You're talking about Battle of the Hell 3 with Desmond Child. Yeah, uh, Todd came in and, and he did a bunch of background work and really made it cohesive. Uh, Battle of the Hell 3, I believe, is one of Meatloaf's least favorite records. Why is that? Uh, he, he just, for some reason, uh, there's a lot of political things in there i'm sure uh i i uh i really can't say for sure what it is i know that some of the songs bother him maybe it was because there was a it had to do with he and jim weren't on the best of terms at that time uh maybe he's feeling that but i do i do remember him saying that he you know was upset with the record wow yeah wow okay yeah. So you were t- you were telling me how you guys tell me more about these these homes that would be set up for you when you go and you record. And you were telling me how I mean the the amount of time that it takes you guys sometimes to record the lyrics for an album. 
uh, that's when you guys, you know, spend a lot of quality time together off tour, <laughs> <laughs> learning each other's habits. Uh, quality like, time. Quality time. <laughs> like who likes their toast burnt and who likes their toast not that's burnt. Right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. We, let me see, I did, I produced Hell in a Handbasket in 2011 with Meatloaf. And uh, we did, that was, that was actually pretty quick. I think we did the vocals in six weeks. Six weeks. So that was actually really quick. Yeah. Uh, Braver Than We Are, the record, the most recent record that we did. Uh, Meatloaf had an incredible health issue, severe, uh, severe back issues and um, uh, balance issues. He was falling a lot. We uh, rented a house in Studio City for 10 weeks. We couldn't get anything done. He, he, uh, he fell, hurt his back in the shower, and he couldn't really recover from it. He was seeing a lot of doctors. And, and the problem with that kind of injury is that, with Meatloaf especially, he's, he's operatic. So when he sings, he's using his entire body. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, so if your lower back is hurting, it's impossible to hit those high Cs that he likes to hit. Okay, so I remember it being a very difficult time in Studio City. You know, he and I were in the house alone, and we just couldn't get anything done. He was in so much, so much discomfort. It was really, really hard to watch. We spent a lot of times, a lot of time going back and forth to doctors. Really, we then shut down production for probably ten months. You've been listening to part of Paul Crook. We're hoping for part two here in just a minute. Hello. Are we there? We're here. Yes, we are. All right. So, so, <laughs> Hi so there. we're going to edit it, pick it right back up to you guys. We're in Studio City. Now that was smooth and live. It's all good. <laughs> you know? Hey, I'm telling you, you were, you were in the middle of a thought there, Paul. You're on vacation. So we appreciate you, first of all. Paul Crook has been with lots of different bands on tour, but most recently and most often Meatloaf. And you were talking about something there. Yeah. I'm sorry. So where did we leave off? Studio City. You guys were hanging you're out. You're in a house. Back injury. Yeah. You're oh, yeah. Ten okay. months off, and then you're back That's in the right. house. Okay. Yeah. So we decided to shut down production until we could figure out what was happening with Meat's health. We then, that was in September, and then we reconvened in June, and and we decided. He, I'm sorry, Meatloaf decided he wanted to work in Nashville, so we moved to Nashville. We got a house in, in Brentwood. We set up a studio there, and we spent 11 weeks there. We got 90% of the vocals done. It was a very productive uh, uh, venture there. And in, in that venture is where the toast comes in. And uh, <laughs> so, the, the, you know, me, me, the me, toast. yeah, you know, yeah, Mead and I, you know, we, we value our, our dinner time. You know, we, we like that. We value our breakfast. And I'm always up before him. You know, he's up about 2 o'clock in the afternoon when he has to sing. I'm up about 10 o'clock. I'm out doing my walk, whatever I'm doing. And I make my toast. I like my toast dark. I like it crunchy. I put my peanut butter on it. I like to chew it, you know? Like, I like it to crunch. Yeah, you like that big crunch. Yeah, I like that sound. <laughs> and I like it, you know, the, the blacker the better, right? And and meat. Because there's like so to... many ways with this, Paul, but I will just let I know, that go. I, I, I kind of, yeah, I stepped into that. Uh, <laughs> and meat likes his toast chewy. Chewy. Yeah, so... I would wake up before him and I would crank the number on the toaster and I I would forget to turn it down and he would come in and put his toast in and it would get Bernie would yell at me. (laughs) What's with the goddamn toast? (laughs) (laughs) 
You have to remember that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's funny. Don't piss off meatloaf. But th- but this happened all the time, you know. Well, I can't imagine you guys having much more arguments than that. I mean, if you're just arguing about toast, I think you're pretty good. <laughs> oh, there were other there were other arguments as well. <laughs> Well, you know what? There are a couple of ways to get to where you are. There are a couple paths, and I think uh, you took the one where you began as a tech for somebody, kind of maybe similar to Tommy Thayer, who ended up being in a band because you learned all the background stuff, and, and that was a foundation. Not only could you play, but you knew all the technical stuff, too. That's correct. And Tommy's a great example. Uh, he plays Ace Freely, incredible. Oh, man, I can't believe how, how great that guy plays. For me, yes, I started out as, as a roadie. And I knew early on that I, I, I grew up in a small town called Greenbrook, Greenbrook, New Jersey. There were 52 kids in my graduating class. Wow. And I knew, you know, small. senior in high school, yeah, as a senior in high school, I, I knew I had to get out. I knew I had to get out of the town. So I was very, very fortunate enough to meet a guy named Jack Secret, who was Getty Lee's uh, tech. And he was also, he's working with Blois to for for 15 years. And he took me under his wing and he said, you're coming out on tour with me. You're going to do drums for Blois to call. And uh, <laughs> I was like, wow, this is fantastic. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> I just got out on, on tour and I, I made a mess of everything. And thankfully, uh, the Blois to guys were incredibly loving and supportive. And they allowed me to grow into, into the position. And then from there, uh, my teching then, I moved to Anthrax. I was uh, Danny uh, tech for Danny Spitz. And that was great. We had some amazing tours. I remember um, one of my favorites was uh, Anthrax Public Enemy Tour, mm-hmm. Bring the Noise. That was really, really fun. I mean, there were some negative things on there. I remember going through Europe – it was actually pretty sad. I felt bad. Yeah, I remember. I remember pulling up in, uh, I want to say Milan, like pa- Palace Tristardi, one of the arenas, and there was a, a brick wall, and it was black spray paint, very derogative. You know, go home. You know, derogative terms uh. on the wall, and it was very disheartening. You know, because I mean Chuck D, you know, Flavor, the, the guys are such wonderful guys. You know, and, and to see that, I can't imagine they're hurt. That they felt, you know, it's terrible. Yeah, so that that was a down downer for that tour. But otherwise, the tour was really, really amazing. From there, I I moved to to Slayer, and I was Kerry wow. King's roadie, and Woo! that was Slayer. to date. I think. I'm sorry. Slayer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to say it with a little grit there, Paul. Slayer, <laughs> man. Yeah, I th- I think to date that's probably one of my all time favorite uh, experiences on the road. Uh, the guys, just a, such a, a wonderful bunch of guys. Management was amazing. They they treated the road crew incredible. They actually flew the whole road crew uh, business class to Europe, L.A. to Germany. Nice. And who does that? Who does that? Yeah, That's exactly. Nice. You're supposed to you swim. Know? I, I know. It's, Take a so fucking cool. boat. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> and I was really great. We, we spent about late. two weeks in rehearsal. I remember, and every day... Carrie would pick me up in this in this yellow Corvette, and we would uh, drive to uh, Chili's restaurant, and we'd meet the whole band there and, and the back line crew, which was me, uh, Johnny Araya, who's Tom's brother, mm. and the drum tech, I think his name was Cole at the time. And it was just the three of us and, and the band. 
and we would eat and drink margaritas, you know, for about two hours. And then we'd go to rehearsal and they would just blow it up. The rehearsal room was fantastic. It was a big warehouse and they had the entire stage set up. They had 18 Marshall cabinets on each side of a six foot drum riser. Nice. And, and, and they were full volume. I, these guys, they don't mess around. I, it's like a, it's a concert every rehearsal. I mean, they're headbanging. They're, it was incredible to see. And we would rehearse for you know a few hours, and then we'd you know, power down. Then we'd all drive to Fridays, TGIF, and we'd eat and drink awesome. for another two hours. I and that was Friday. every day. They're making the rounds, Chili's Friday. Yeah, yeah, that was it. That was it every day. It was amazing. It was an amazing, amazing eat. brotherhood. But know? now we have the personal catering, so we don't need to worry about Chili's. And- <laughs> well, I worked at Bennigan's, so I'm I'm kind of sad that you didn't hit Bennigan's a little bit. Oh, uh, you should have hit Bennigan's <laughs> because Bennigan's had the greatest pretzel turkey melt sandwich ever. I miss those so badly. Yeah, they uh. were they were definitely creative. So do you think you're going to end up somewhere south of heaven, you know, when when <laughs> when Slayer is is out there? I mean, if you're not used to Slayer, my goodness. Slayer. Get ready, man. Yeah. People used to call yeah. this rock station I was on before the bay and just to prove how badass they thought they were, they would request Slayer. You know, yeah, it's like yeah. you guys are a bunch of pussies because you don't play Slayer. It's like, yeah. really, dude? I said, you know, I'm going to scare the shit out of 90 percent of our audience if I put on Slayer. So uh, if, if you're ready to catch everybody as they fall, go ahead. You got Slayer? Uh, you got Slayer? Oh, 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 no, here we go. I mean, dude, Carrie King is so brilliant. He played on a Beastie Boys song. Didn't he? That's right. I'm doing air guitar right now. Paul Cook style. I mean, it sounds like somebody's dying, like a brutal death. Angel of death. Well, this is where someone this is a perfect. The meeting of pain. Wow, man! This is the perfect time for me to jump in and say, rumor has it that you may be getting back into some metal. Well, let's just say this: uh, John Bush and I are talking about getting together and making some quote-unquote noise is this mm-hmm. the is this the anthrax john bush <laughs> that's correct anthrax john bush that's correct that's correct, that's correct. stomp stop it <laughs> love that record i played only i believe i i know i did that's great that that's a white noise record yeah beautiful mm-hmm. song yeah. well incredibly well written all right well this is good so we can maybe maybe hear some noise from you and John Bush and maybe some anthrax. Maybe. 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 You, never, you never know. Okay. Hey, we're with Paul Crook, and he has done so many different things in music. He's gotten to taste a lot of different flavors. But uh, we were talking about how you were a tech, and uh, there's another way to get into the business as well. And some people either just are dead set on being a solo artist. Some people uh, get a band together, and they stick with that band and maybe swap a few members out, but that's what they're doing to get there, and they're going to do it hell or high water. Or you can join, as a good player, an established band and get out there and do things like that. Now, um, I know you know Chasm Sultan. He played on Bat Out of Hell, but that guy has been in, oh, my God, he played with Todd. He's been in Blue Oyster Cult. I saw him as one of the Blackhearts with Joan Jett. I mean, Mm -hmm. that guy plays bass, and he can sing, and he's been really uh, successful in a lot of different ways. And, and it almost reminds me of what you've been doing. Oh, I'm, I'm incredibly honored that you mentioned my name along with Kazan Sultan. 
Yeah, Catherine yeah, Sultan is um, one of the greatest musicians I've ever been in the room with. The, the guy is off the charts, uh, so much talent. Uh, he, was, he was actually in Hall of Notes as well. You know, there's nothing he can, he, the guy can do anything. He's, he's like a walking jukebox. Incredibly honored to know him. That's crazy. Work with him. I have a, yeah, I have yeah. a picture with him from uh, a Joan Jett show about 25 years ago. That's how I knew him. Awesome. And then I, I met him with Todd yeah. also, man. But, uh, yeah. you know, that's, that's the kind of way. I mean, there are different paths into becoming, you know, say a rock star. Or, uh, you know, mm. somebody that is, uh, you know, a support person as far as a, a huge tour, like a Meatloaf tour. I mean, you got to be top of the line to be able to do that. Meatloaf has sold 80 million records or something like that. And That's correct. You know, you go out on tour. I mean, just Bat Out of Hell itself sold 43 million albums. So that means, you know, most people, uh, wherever you are, there's going to be somebody that's got that record and knows that record. And when you're playing it, they want to hear it the way they heard it. That's correct. Yeah. And well, you get that with yeah. Paul. Mm-hmm. You sure as hell <laughs> get that with Paul. Yeah, and respecting respecting the music, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And there's you no know, one also, better to do it than on, you. On that point, you know, on the point about you know, quote unquote, uh, making it, I guess. Uh, I'm gonna say a majority of it is is luck. You know, being in the right place at the right time. Wow. That 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 makes it happen, yeah, and right. your talent keeps you there. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's true. You know, so yeah, if, if you don't have the talent, you're not going to stay. You're not going to stay around too long. But the talent isn't enough. You need that luck to get in. Mm-hmm. You know, and thankfully, I've been lucky enough to get in because I have friends, the guys I grew up in, grew up with in, in my area. There's a, a few guitar players that are just mind blowing. I can think of right now that didn't get a proper a proper fair shake, and they're just incredible to me. Wow. You know, you it's, know- it's luck, man. Hey, today I was giving away tickets for Pat Benatar and Toto on my show. And awesome. one, one of my questions for people uh, was that there, there are lots of people walking around this earth with great talent that nobody is ever going to hear because it's not just talent. It's right place, maybe right partner and timing. And that's how it starts. And what you right. said about talent keeping you there is everything. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened with Pat Benatar. She got in front of of some of the right people uh, after being a bank teller yep. and marrying Dennis Benatar, who I yep. don't know where he is now, but it's kick, probably kick, not that cool. Himself. Probably not that cool. I mean, she <laughs> kept his name, but when she found Neil Giraldo, who had, you know, a good tune in his head and knew how to use her amazing voice, you know, he was able to not only, you know, encapsulize what she was capable of and her potential, but then he married her, you know? Yeah. And here yeah. they are 35 years later and they're still crushing out there and, you know, that's it. She just found her way because she got in the right place and her voice was amazing and it took her where she is. So that's Absolutely. exactly right. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, Spider is a friend of mine. I love Spider. He's one of my all time favorite players, too. And I'm honored to call him a friend. Well, he uh, did write those songs, didn't he? I mean, he, he pretty much, you know, yeah, constructed yeah, he's, her. He gave her the edge that she needed. Yeah. 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 Well, and you know, my brother was their tour manager for a few years. Yes. 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 Yep. And um, and so he and he was your tour manager when you guys were out with Sebastian Bach. That's correct. Yeah. Wow. And now he's with Michael McDonald. So it's Amazing. it's timing. It's who you know. It's keeping the talent, like you said. It all comes full circle. And like I said on my last podcast, I, I dropped it. Okay, I'm good now. Like I said on my last podcast, you know, radio and 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 music are hand in hand in terms of you don't want to burn bridges because you never know who you're going to play with or work with 
And oh, that's so important. Look at all these musicians that come together after years of being apart or being in different bands and sharing different bandmates, and then you go and you work with somebody that you've admired, or you've you've admired, or 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 you get to work with somebody that that you didn't think you would get to work with. Uh, who one of those people? Just throw out a name. Like who did you never think that you would get to play with? Brian May. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So tell me about that. You auditioned for We Will Rock You, the musical. What was that experience like? Was was Brian May right there and you had to just audition for him? What was that like? Oh, wow. Okay, this is a, a long story. Uh, I you think it's worth it. For you. All right. Uh, we were in New Zealand. Okay. And Patty Russo, uh, she's the female lead vocalist for Meatloaf. Yes. She she's amazing. Has, yeah, she's amazing. Uh, well, I'm sorry. Let me go back a little bit. Uh, Meatloaf is very good friends with Brian May. He was very good friends with Freddie Mercury. Uh, through through Meatloaf, uh, Patty met Brian through Meatloaf. This is going back into the early 90s. Okay. Uh, Bad of the Hell 2, like anything for love time. We Okay, so now I'm going ahead to, to, we're going to 2003, somewhere in there, 2003, yeah. We're in New Zealand, and Patty says to me that Queen is doing a musical in Las Vegas, and there's an open call for auditions, you know, for guitar musicians, you know, guitar, drums, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And my drummer, John Michelli, and I look at each other and we go, holy shit, we got we to do this. So uh, I bought a, bought a ticket, uh, got to Vegas on a Thursday, and open call, uh, had to get there at noon on Friday. I got there at noon. There was, uh, I think over 250 guitar players that weekend that auditioned. Okay, so it's, it's noon. I, I, I go, they call me in. I go in. There's an amp there. I plug in. And I, I start playing a song. It's called One Vision. And I think I played for 90 seconds. And, they, and the hands go up, stop, 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 stop. They stop. I was like, wow, that, that was quick. I'm going home, you know. And the, I'm sorry, the Queen guys weren't there at this time. This is Friday. And they said, can you come back on Monday? And I was like, oh, okay. So I went back to the hotel and I extended my stay and Monday comes around and now I was told to go to this big uh, room in, in Bali's hotel, like a banquet room. I go in there and now, oh my God, there's maybe a hundred guitar players and maybe 50 drummers and a lot of musicians and we're going in and uh, wow, I... It's like the end of the day. I was, I'm there for like six or eight hours, and I haven't been called up yet. Finally, I, wow. I get called up, and Brian May and Roger Taylor, they're right there. I couldn't believe it. It was really, really cool. I, uh, I'm playing One Vision, and it's about about ready to hit the guitar solo, and um, Brian May stands up from the table, and he walks towards me. He's about 30 feet out, and he walks towards me, and he stands right in front of me like a foot away. That's not, because that's to, not a uh, sugar yeah. pants moment. Yeah, as I'm, I'm about to hit the guitar solo. <laughs> and then he puts his head right against my fretboard. And then I go to the guitar solo. <laughs> He's wow. like totally, totally messing with me. Yeah. I don't know why he messed with me. He didn't do it to anybody else. And thankfully, I hit the solo. And, uh, you know, we finished the song, and, and Brian and Roger said, thank you very much. And they sent us on our way. And I got a I got a phone call a week later saying, "Hey, you want to move to uh, Las Vegas?" <laughs> it's amazing. It was great. Yeah, yeah, it was great. I mean, it was great. You know, it's because you're that good, Paul. 
nice you've got you've got meatloaf messing with you you've got brian may messing with you i wonder who else <laughs> in the future is going to mess with you <laughs> it was really really cool i, I love brian hey brianmay.com is a scream i don't know if you go on there much but brian's soapbox brian talks about all kinds of things that are on his mind and yeah some of them are rants about things that that he hates and some of them are you know things he's pissed off at and some of them are are brilliant just observations about life and you know the 3d book is coming out and and he really got angry because this woman came to review the book from one of the uk publications and when she sat next to him she you know played it off like she was so impressed with it and everything and then when she went and wrote the piece she ripped it to shit and he was like how dare you you fucking whore come and do this you know play this bullshit to me to my face and then walk away and write all this crap you know he got so angry he was like you know and that's what happens a lot of times like radio people uh you know sometimes ruin it for the next radio guy and and here's this chick who comes in and she puts on a fake act with him and then now he's not going to want to be reviewed by anybody for a while you know what i mean yeah um the book is amazing i have it uh, brian sent it to me it is incredibly entertaining to go through. He did such an amazing job on it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Man, I can't yeah. wait to see it. It's going to be cool. Oh, it's, it's so cool. Yeah, for people that don't know about it, it's a 3D book that has, I mean, you can uh, confirm this, Paul. It has, like, uh, you know, a lot of really great photos from the whole retrospective career of Queen. Backstage. That's and, right. You know, right. hotels, maybe on stage, a lot of stuff. It's great. It, it comes with a, uh, it's called an owl glass, like O-W-L. And it's a uh, it's a piece of plastic with a it's like a, a magnifying uh, thing. You you assemble it. Uh, it's, it snaps together, and then you you place it on each page over the photo, and you look through it, and the photo becomes three D. Mm. That's how it's done. Yeah. Wow. My parents used to have something like that in our old house. My dad went to uh, Japan and came back with these little shot glasses. And I didn't realize when I was a kid and I put water in them and then I realized they were naked ladies at the bottom. <laughs> That's awesome. Nice. Yeah. And my mom used I to sing a uh, squeeze box to me when I was like five and six years old. And that was pretty, pretty awkward. <laughs> That's great. Hey, we're with Paul Crook. It's paul-crook.com. Hey, you got a big fat website too. Thank you. It's true. It's true. You've got you've got so many different things on here. We're looking at your gallery and your YouTube, and you know, uh, soon we're going to probably see some more of the you know stuff that you're talking about. Maybe even getting back into metal and all the stuff that you've done with Meatloaf and Anthrax and Baz. Let's talk about Baz for a minute. Yeah, sure, let's talk sure. about Baz. He let's played New York last Baz. night. He played BB King's last night, and you know, I've known of all the people we've talked about. I, I, I'm not like so delusional that I think if I interview somebody that they're my friend all of a sudden. I mean, I know who comes to me with something in the shop window, and who's my acquaintance, and who's my real friend. But a uh, Sebastian man, I mean, look, I've spent hours and hours and hours with him, and he comes through this area, Baltimore, D.C., pretty often. You know, he played M3. Uh, he's played theaters around here and clubs and stuff. And, uh, you know, he had a 22-year-old guitar player one of these uh, last couple of times that I saw him. A uh, really yeah. young guy that was really amazing. But um, yes. yeah, Sebastian is a freaking cool guy. Uh, the offer has been on the table for some sort of Skid Row reemergence together, but they can't get past whatever the hundred things are, you know, the politics or the egos or whatever it is. I mean, they're still all doing their own thing. But right now, Sebastian plays 90% Skid Row songs from those first two albums in his set. 
and he's a fun dude to be around all the time. And he's from Jersey too, isn't he? Like, doesn't he live in Jersey? No, uh, you're you're pretty close. He's in Beverly Hills now. He was um, he he was born, I think, in Jamaica, and he moved to Ottawa, Canada, at a young age, and he spent his uh, you know most of his life in Ottawa, Canada, until he was 19, and he came down to audition and then later joined Skid Row. Uh, at that point, he moved to uh, Red Bank, New Jersey, Lincroft, New Jersey, which is right outside of Red Bank, which gotcha. was about 15 minutes from where I was. Uh, yeah, he's, man, just a powerhouse. Yeah, he got busted in Jersey, and I was like, what the fuck? How did, how did that even happen? I mean, he had a bag of weed. <laughs> You remember that, don't you? Of course, of yeah. course. Yeah, that's yeah, crazy. I mean, so you were you yeah. were playing you the way you met him was you were playing actually in your band called Crook. That's correct. In ninety two. That's right. And you shared rehearsal space and Sebastian was there and heard you. That's and, correct. And he, he gave you BAM, didn't he? That's correct. We were it was Butterfield's rehearsal studios in Red Bank, New Jersey, and we shared a room with Skid Row and, and a band uh, Monster Magnet. Oh yeah, yeah, and Stash knows uh, Monster Magnet. Yeah, yeah, they're great, right? Yes. And you know, we were really heavy. It was it was kind of um, Pantera heavy, you know, kind of groove thing. And anyways, for some reason, it resonated with, with Sebastian. He, he just dug what I was doing. He dug the band, and we needed a drummer. We were, uh, had trouble with ours and he goes i got the guy dude <laughs> and he and he called he called this guy bam bam mcconnell from from uh jacksonville florida he came up and he knew bam bam from madam x which is a band that bass had when he was 16 years old and uh, bam bam came up and we fell in love with him right away and we started to make some awesome noise together and then in that time, you know, shortly after that, I was offered the Anthrax gig, so I had to leave that band, and I went out with Anthrax, and then I ended up playing with Sebastian Bach six years later, and Bam Bam was in that band, so it was great to see Bam Bam again. So you started with Baz in, like, 98, because then I... That's right? correct. And I met you in 99. Mm. Yeah. We've been friends yeah. a long uh, time, Paul. Yeah, 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 amazing, amazing. Right? Hey, Sebastian, Bass was in studio with me. He would come and he would stay pretty much through my whole show sometimes <laughs> when he was coming through here on, on 98 Rock, which is where I worked for 24 years before I came to the Bay, which is the competition. When you get love from the competition, you hug them back. So uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm there with Sebastian, and the whole time, man, he's texting back and forth with Axel, and he's showing me <laughs> Axel's responses. And, you know, he went on tour with Axel's, uh, version before this whole monster Guns N' Roses thing happened, you know, with, with Axel's like Chinese demo democracy lineup, you know, in South America and all over the place. And he had become really good friends with Axel Rose, didn't he? I, he's always been close with Axel. Yeah. Uh, he and Axel, they, they just hit it off, I think, right out of the gate in like 1992 yeah. when Skid Row opened for, for Guns N' Roses did. back then. Yeah. And he's always been really close with them. And I remember Sebastian, I remember when he got that that gig that uh the supporting guns and roses he was so so um elated and so I, would, I can't find the right word he was overjoyed that axel still loved and and thought of him and you know with so much respect to bring him out on tour now, i know baz is he adores axel rose he just thinks he's the greatest guy 
Man, you know what? Too uh, yeah. when he played in Skid Row and they opened in the arenas for Guns N' Roses, they would play, and then you would sit there for about three hours waiting for Guns N' Roses <laughs> to come out. Yeah, yeah, and I, yeah. they don't do that anymore. I no, mean, I saw them last year and no. they rocked it hard. No, they do not right do off, that now. Right after Alice in Chains, and it was amazing. And they they came out on time this time. Oh, it's such a great band. Mm-hmm. And they're killing it, and they're still killing it. The wheels are still on. You know, they went to places yeah. like Singapore, and nothing happened. You know, they went to Colombia. My God. You know, if you like drugs and you're in Colombia, shit can happen, you know? <laughs> but nothing happened. <laughs> Stash are crazy. <laughs> I think Stash is liking this format. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I'll tell you, you know, I'm thinking about Sebastian now and, and the show's uh, – Wow, I, I would just watch him in awe. I, I would get distracted just watching him, you know. <laughs> oh, he's hysterical. He's so damn funny on stage. What a great, great front man. And I'm having visions of that microphone swinging around, having the duck. Yep. You know, you know, having the time, you know, like move my head out of time with the song to avoid being hit by the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. He definitely is uh, entertaining, to say the least. Oh, yeah. That one. Oh, man. Tell me about Rock Camp. I don't really, uh, I wasn't really involved with Rock Camp. I had a uh, David Fishoff, who, uh, you know, he started it. He had a a really great building in Vegas uh, for Rock Camp, Mm -hmm. and he was only using it four times a year. So I had this idea, you know what, I'm going to talk to him about opening a rehearsal studio because he had 12 rooms full of uh, backline gear and he had an amazing uh, live stage room, beautiful, uh, beautiful room. So we came to an agreement. He allowed me to run a rehearsal studio out of his building and that lasted for about 18 months. Uh, that's really my only, my only involvement with Rock Camp. What's Rock Camp like? What is it about? In terms of uh, what was the whole premise for it? Because it's I was... really a great idea. It's all it's all you know David Fishoff's brain, you know, doing this. What you do is you you pay a certain fee, uh, maybe five thousand dollars, which is you know not cheap. Yeah. But that that five thousand dollars gets you airfare and hotel in Las Vegas, and it gets you into the Rock Camp building, and in, in with a uh, uh, what do you call it? An instructor who's a rock star. It could be like Vinnie Apice or uh, Chasm Sultan. And uh, you, you work towards, you work all week for the weekend to where at that point you get to play on stage with the featured artist who could be Sammy Hagar or uh, Tony Iommi. Or Nancy Wilson. Or Nancy Wilson, that's right. So, so you spend the whole week learning. If it's Nancy Wilson, if it's, if it's Nancy Wilson week, you spend the whole week with your instructor who puts a band um, together, each instructor, there's like, there's like 10 instructors and they're all rock stars. They all have their own band and they train you on heart songs because at the end of the week, you're going to get on stage with Nancy Wilson and you're going to play a song with her. Yeah. Which is really cool. So, okay. So you spend all week, you know, with, with say Chasm Sultan and he's just, you know, you're, you're, you're learning Barracuda. You're playing Barracuda. You're going to play this. You're going to play it right. And he's going to drill it and drill it till you get it right. And then, Come Friday or Saturday, you're on stage and there's Nancy Wilson and you're playing her song. You yep. got to have a little bit of talent to even be able to start that, right? Like I wouldn't be able to pay $5,000 to 
got to rock can't be able to rock a Nancy Wilson. No, I mean, you just need a, the money. That they would will, take a freaking miracle, they man. They guarantee that you're going to be able to play something, whether it's rhythm or a fucking triangle back there. Those you're people be would be leaving well, see, That's the, the beauty of it. So that's the beauty of it. You don't need to be a professional to do this. You could be an amateur. It's just about the fun. It's about the experience, you know. I yeah. would pay no, five grand to have that experience. Yeah, they're doing it next week in Hollywood with Nancy Wilson. I know that for sure. Yeah, there's no, there's no judgment there. You know, no one's going to judge you on your ability. It's just about having fun, you know, and the camaraderie of being together with a group of musicians and, you know, and experiencing what it's like to be in a band because that's what you're doing. You I know? think Stash and I are going to go next year. We're going to go spend money and go do rock camp. Honestly, if I've got five grand to spend, I'm going on the Legends of Rock cruise. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. Right on. Because <laughs> I'll tell you, man, Bad Company is going to be on. Paul Rogers and Simon Kirk are going to be on this one coming up next year in February. Yeah, and it sold awesome. out faster than you, too. I mean, it sold out like, boom. And these are 1,000, you know, uh, every cabin's 3,000 or more. And they sold out right away. And usually yeah. for people that have been, like, repeat customers that were on, you know, one before that have an in. Those mm-hmm. are the people that snap them all up. Mm-hmm. It's crazy, man. You might yeah. want to get one of those gigs, Paul, because you could go out on a cruise for a week and, you know, have a great time and uh, maybe even take your family on a big vacation. And all you do is get up there and play a couple gigs and, you know, uh, swim in the pool and slide down the slide with everybody. It sounds like a wonderful thing. Doesn't it, though? I think Absolutely. it does. I want to go to the small bar with uh, Paul Crook. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I would man. go on that cruise in a heartbeat. How about that? <laughs> so much fun, right? Hey, Paul, you're in Wildwood, New Jersey, and you're on vacation yeah. with your family, man. And yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate you taking time with Gurley here, who uh, just launched her podcast. And, you know, to have somebody of your caliber on the show right uh, out of the gate, dude, for real. That is so nice of you. Uh, it's a pleasure. Appreciate you, know? you uh, man. Oh, that's great. Yeah, she, she's awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much, Paul. Uh, I really yes, appreciate it. it. It is a, really an honor to interview you oh, and, uh, so and have you on here. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm so flattered. Thank you. Because it's in-depth and it's not uh, censored by some program director four doors down who's like standing in the window <laughs> choking himself going, it's got to be over. You know, <laughs> Jesus Christ, I had Roger Waters on and I got the guy out there, you know, doing the cut your neck off thing. I said, not you, here. You go away. Okay. Are you serious? Yes. That actually happened? Too much talking. He wanted to have a song. I was like, oh dude, God. it's half songs. That gets you halfway <laughs> there. But you need to have some compelling content on top of that shit. And when you have Roger Waters, you talk to him. You know? It's, <laughs> it's like crazy, that's man. That's, that's well, re- that's that's why I had Paul Crook on here, because we just wanted to talk to you about all of your experiences. No, it's because you've great. had You could have never done this in, in a five-minute little, you know, roundtable no. thing. No way. It's amazing. Your career is incredible, buddy. It really is. Um, oh, I, and I'm gonna say, so nice. I'm gonna I, say I, it I again. The- um, I'm Stash. I don't know if you know this, but he does have the world's greatest dimples. <laughs> he really, really does. Even my kids think so, Paul. They really do. Hey, it was Thank great you. talking to you tonight. Thank, Thank you. you so much for coming on Backstage Pass with Meredith Marks. Uh, and uh, uh, now that I know you. that you're not too far away, you're just a couple of hours from Baltimore, we will see each other soon. Right on, Meredith. I'm going to make that happen. Thank <laughs> you so much. I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. Paul Crook, everybody. Woo-hoo! Right on, guys. We're going to hear you in Tasmania <laughs> on this. It's worldwide. Worldwide. <laughs> Hobart. <laughs> Hobart. Rock on. See you, man. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Have Paul. I appreciate it, buddy. Uh, I appreciate it more. I'll Thank be you in so touch. I'll, I'll send you the link. Uh, this is so great. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, bud. Woo! Okay. Bye-bye. Hey, Bye-bye. man. Rock and roll.
You know, we're looking at Boston Tapestry here in the backstage area, and Meredith Marks is here, and uh, are we done? Because oh. they were really hot from my cans. But that's okay. I'm just taking a break for one second. No, we're good. We're good. You keep that rolling. Come on. Let's no. go. So um, he's an awesome guy. He has an amazing career. Yeah, and he has a family. And, you know, you were talking about how it's tough to keep relationships together in the beginning when you're out and you're never home. Uh, and you're bouncing around from city to city. And chicks are throwing their underwear at you. You know, uh, that can also derail Whoa. some things. So, you know, I, t I have a lot of respect for people like uh, that are able to keep their marriage together. Chris Cornell. I mean, I had a ton of respect for Chris Cornell. I think it's the saddest thing ever that he's gone. And uh, I know, uh, you know, so many people were devastated by that. But that guy really kept it real on tour. I mean, he was a really cool dude. Uh, you know, he came, I met him several times. He came into the studio with me one afternoon and he spent the whole afternoon with me and he was on the phone with his wife and he told me that, you know, he owned a, a Paris restaurant and he put chicken nuggets on the menu because his little heads would for sure eat chicken nuggets. So here he's a, you know, a French restaurant and you can get some chicken nuggets because <laughs> his kids would eat them. That's awesome. Yeah. So that kind of like, you know, wonderful commitment, man, that, that Paul has in his family. They're on vacation there on the Jersey Shore. That's crazy, man. That's cool. It is cool. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've had a, uh, a rock and roll life with a marriage that went with it for a long, long time. And, uh, you know, I just want to say divorce is awesome. It really is. Uh, divorce is awesome. I had a rock and roll life as well and um, and, a, and a divorce from that as well. And and uh, but I'm, I get along great with my. And so do With I. With my wonderful ex, and he's an amazing father. Hey, man, uh, my ex met me in the parking lot at the Bay last night, believe it or not. And, Did uh, she? Yeah. And, Things are coming around, Stash. Well, you know, she wanted some money, but she was out there. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> Don't we all want some cash? No, you know what? Uh, From the Stash? We're, uh, you know, uh, living a rock and roll career really because you know now you have this uh i've been on the radio since i was 23 and uh, i'm 53 and now. i've been on the radio for 17 years mm. and i'm 38 uh but you know growing up in the family that i did and seeing the things that i did i mean we both yeah it's, it's incredible what we've seen i knew with this show i wanted to do the show because there are a lot of stories to tell i wanted to give people a glimpse into what it's like backstage life on tour, life on the road, and how far touring has come. You know, Paul and I talked before this just for a few minutes, and he was talking to Gene Simmons from KISS, and Gene said the greatest time to tour ever was the 70s, uh, which, you know, I said, well, I thought the 80s were really cool. I mean, I can only imagine. Not for KISS. But I bet the 70s were amazing. I wouldn't know I was born in, I was born in 79. No, the shit fell apart for uh, KISS in but, the 80s for a while there. Yeah. You know, yeah, I was made for loving you. Yeah, that baby. was their nod to disco. Kissco. Yeah. Kissco. Really not cool at all. But I've seen Kiss several times and uh and they always put on a good show and you know Oh sure they do, and they always will. And I I have a fear that when Gene and Paul get too old to do it, they're gonna put four other dudes out there and, and no, try to keep it going. It's not gonna be the same. You it's not gonna it. be the same. You can't you can't replace that. But they're money hungry even with stacks of money in front of them. I mean, they can't get enough. You can't get enough! My brother has an entire storage unit of Kiss shit. I am not kidding. Like, he has a Kiss toilet paper holder 
course. Kiss, you know. Did he buy the call? Dental floss. Hey, right now I'm throwing up the Gene Simmons devil horns that are going to be trademarked any minute. And, no, they're uh, not. I know. The, I know. I'm kidding. I know they're not. No, they're not. That is sick. Uh, I've got Kiss cams on. They lick the inside of my ear, just hey, look, like Gene Simmons would with his tongue. I spent a day with Gene here in Baltimore. They came and did some signings, uh, him and Paul, and uh, it was he had Eric Singer with him at the time, and he had Bruce Kulick back then. This was like uh, 1992. We had Kiss Day in Baltimore, and the mayor came. And proclaimed it Kiss Day. They played at Hammerjacks. They did. They went to Hammerjacks. They were warming Singer up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kiss Day. And uh, uh, I had him in the morning because I was uh, filling in in the morning at 98 Rock and then uh, spent the day riding around with Paul in a limousine. And we converged at the Hyatt downtown across from the uh, Harbor Pavilions there around four o'clock before they you know, were, were set to go to dinner and then to Hammerjacks. Um, before happy hour. Before, Well, they that's what I was about to tell you. Uh, Gene, no drugs, no drinks, never. But if your girlfriend's sitting next to him, oh. you better lock her down. Uh-huh. Because he will take your girl and Put spin her around. Put that fucking belt on her. Yeah. Uh, he's happy to enjoy uh, a stray woman here and there. But uh, they were great, man, all day. I mean, I can't say enough about how much fun I had with Paul Stanley. That guy, he loves oldies. He likes to sing along to oldies. And we're riding around in the limo, and he's singing away, man. And, you know, he got the got the star child out there singing like, you know, the Ronettes and shit. It was cool. See, isn't that fun when you get to actually go and you hang out with these people and everybody has an image of what they're like, and they could be completely different than their, you know, stage persona. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make a big announcement right now. Mike, you think I should? Sure. <laughs> tomorrow night, I'm actually going. Well, we're, when we air this, it's going to be probably tomorrow, right? Yes. Yes. So tonight, tonight, we'll say tomorrow night, tonight, I'm going to go down to D.C. and I'm going to go hang out with the Steve Miller Band. Uh, and, and most Ooh. importantly, Kenny Lee Lewis who has been with the Steve Miller Band for almost 30 years. And, and another guy? And Peter Frampton. Yeah, him. And his band. So I want to go hang out with them and uh, go to Meriwether Post Pavilion to the show on Friday night and and interview them backstage and 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 do the whole thing with with uh, with them. And, and you know, uh, Kenny Lee is a pretty cool guy. I've been messaging back and forth with him. And I told him that Meriwether has a pool backstage. They do. I've seen it. I saw it at M3. Uh, They have just made that backstage times 10 what it ever was before. I haven't seen it. I'm excited to go back on Friday and actually see it. You know, I basically, I like lived at Meriwether in the 80s when my dad did shows and we were there all the time. And so I knew it like the back of my hand, but apparently it's completely different. I can't wait to see the renovations. Um it's it's probably very cool. Every dressing room is like a macked out state of the art hotel room, and there are seven or eight, maybe even ten of them. And the pool back there is awesome because families can tour with their band, you know, and they can, you know, maybe find a a place to hang out while the whole thing's going on, and you know, take your kids and put them in the pool for a little bit. And, True. You know, uh, it's just a great thing. Brad is the GM of Merriweather. He started off as a guy that was riding around on a golf cart, like you know, kind of like taking things, go for here and there. And uh, he runs the whole joint now. And uh, Brad is a pretty innovative dude, and this was his idea. 
And uh, it's an amazing idea. It is. Who would have thunk to put a pool backstage? And you're exactly right. It gives the families a chance to have an outlet when they're just on tour and they've had enough of it. and They just want to go have some fun. I told Kenny Lee about this, Kenny Lee Lewis. And he said, uh, you know, will it hold him? <laughs> and I said, yeah, you could do a Kenny Cannonball. He said he would soak catering. Well, catering's inside now. It's not on that deck anymore. That deck is gone, and it's inside this big, like, lunchroom cafeteria-style area with a long, like, buffet that goes down one wall and all the way along the next wall. And when Paul Crook was talking about how being a vegetarian on tour is tough because sometimes you land somewhere where everybody's all meat, you know? True. And they expect you to be the carnivore like like Ted Nugent. But uh, if you're a vegetarian at Merriweather and you're getting catered by High Tops or whoever's doing it, it, there are so many options, man. There's fruit everywhere. There's a salad bar. It's crazy. It's really crazy. Well, I went to the Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons show at the Hippodrome, and so they had a smaller catering room, and they had an, uh, you know, an array of things, but then I walk in, and there's Bill Bateman standing right there, right, and he's holding something in his hands, and my daughter walks in, and she goes, I want that. And I go, no, honey, that goes to Frankie. It was a crab pretzel. Kid wanted it so bad. She had like drool dripping out of her mouth. (laughs) But he brought an entire tray of crab cakes because he knows that when you come to Baltimore, you got to have crab cakes. And that particular, you know, when, when, when Frankie was there, Frankie and Bill are friends and they had to have Bill Bateman's crab cakes. And it's like a staple. So uh, we'll, we'll see what catering has for Steve Miller Band and Peter Frampton on Friday night. They've asked, they've asked for something and it'll, it'll be there. It'll be there ready for him and plus 10 times more. Uh, You know, Peter Frampton has been on the radio a lot with me and Peter Frampton wrote some of the greatest songs. Some of the songs that he wrote have been covered so many times. Baby, I love your way. I can't count how many people have covered that song, but he told me, I asked him one time because there was a, a group a singing group called Will to Power. Yes. And they did a, a kind of a mashup of uh, Baby, true. I Love Your Way and Free Bird. And uh, Peter Frampton, I don't think, was aware of that until he heard it on the radio riding down the road in Florida. And I thought they had to get his permission, but they can cover it. They just have to pay you. It's a publishing thing. If, if you got the publishing rights, they got to pay. Yes, so you'll, you'll so get, his management knew. Yeah. And so his, somebody knew. And oh, he by the said, way, Pete. I said, how do you how do you think that sounds? How do you feel about that? He said, you know, I don't know how I feel about how it sounds. But when I was riding down the road, all I could think of was cha-ching, cha-ching. <laughs> he said that to money, me. Money, 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 money. And it's true. I mean, it gives a song a, a little bit more life. But man, when he plays that on Friday night, tomorrow night at Meriwether Post Pavilion, that's going to be awesome. Oh my God. I know, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm so excited. I've, I've seen Steve Miller Band. I have not seen Peter Frampton. Uh, so that'll be new for me, and I'm excited for that experience. Yeah, Peter Frampton was 26 when he did Frampton Comes Alive with all that flowing hair and everything, 26 right. years old. You know, Bob Mayo on the keyboards, Bob Mayo. Anyway, he now has his son in his band, you know, and it's uh, it's just come all the way, you know, to the legacy of that. Less hair, but still sounds amazing. No hair. Exactly the same. Right? Mike, yeah. can you relate to that just a little bit? I don't even think about it. <laughs> All right, so we're going to wrap this up. Thank you so much, Stash. Woo! Hey, I want to drop one more thing. Uh, yeah. I'm on 3 to 7 on the Bay. I'm giving away all kinds of crazy stuff this week and next week and every every day. At 3.10, I give away tickets to something. But uh, yesterday, I 
I have been a member of the Bob Seger fan club for a long time, and I have never interviewed or met Bob Seger. He was one of the only people in music that I haven't been close to somehow, somewhere. It's a bucket list. He definitely, well, he was he was going to do it, and he came into town a little too late on the day of the show, and we couldn't hook it up, but that was in 2011. He's not playing a date in Baltimore, D.C. yet that's been announced yet. So uh, on the whatever, two months and, and change tour, uh, he's playing in Dallas in October on my birthday, and it's a Saturday night. And so I went on the pre-sale, and I got tickets, uh, you know, fan club tickets in the first 10 rows. So uh, Nancy Wilson from Heart is the opening act. It's October 21st at the brand-new Jerry Jones Arena in Frisco, Texas, next to the AT&T uh, Stadium uh, there for the Dallas Cowboys. It's actually their indoor practice facility, but uh, this looks like a macked-out, crazy place to see a concert. And Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band, and I'm going to be there in October, so I'll have to come back on sometime around then and uh, tell you about that a little yes, bit. Yes, 100%. We want you to come back. Mm-hmm. It's Stash, everybody, from Yay! 100.7 The Bay, 3 to 7 with me as his traffic chicky. Uh, coming up, I've got, like I said, Kenny Lee Lewis from the Steve Miller Band. And we've got Peter Frampton all at Meriwether Post Pavilion live tomorrow night. And on Saturday night, I'm going to be at Barmapalooza on stage with the Ravens talking about Raised on the Radio. And we're going to be back in two weeks with another couple of special guests. Just you stay tuned. Thanks for listening to Backstage Pass with Meredith Marks. We out. You've been hanging backstage with Backstage Pass and Meredith Marks. Now get your ass off the tour bus. This is a big-timing comedy production.